0: Thank you. Good afternoon. How'd you like Matthias' talk? Good? I enjoyed that. He's one of, uh, one of those smart people that always makes me feel stupid. So I guess that's good. Before I start, I'd like to share something with you um, that has nothing to do with my talk. Is that okay? It's, um, every once in a while you come across something in, uh, on the web that just kind of gets you angry and makes you realize why you're doing the work you do. So I think everyone here, in your own little way, you're trying to make the web better, or at least do the work you do as well as you can. But I don't think everyone who works on the web <laughs> thinks the same way. So this is something I came across, and I'll explain it to the people who don't understand Dutch. Last week I went to Portugal, and I had to do an online check-in. I won't, I won't say which airline, because you could probably figure it out for yourself, but... <laughs> Here's a point. This says uh, th- this was a page where you get these options that you can choose, like um, because this is an airline that's really cheap, so everything's an option. Do you you know? Do you want to eat? Do you want to go to the bathroom? Yeah, that kind of thing. Um, it says after choosing your options, click Add the selected items. That's this button right here. And then it says uh, this is another option, I guess. Leave the booking as it was. And this says, "On second thought, don't." And this says, "No, thank you." <laughs> okay, so this kind of made me angry because I thought, "Well, this is this, you know, I don't, I don't want to do this, so I don't have to click this button. Um, I just want to leave it as it is. So, do I click on this button, or do I click on that button? And what button does that do? So I can, I don't want to do that. Can I do that? Can I fuck shit?" Yeah, so this is <laughs> <laughs> this is why we do what we do, okay? That had nothing to do with my talk, but it just it angered me so much, I thought I'd bring you into my anger. Um, four years ago, Andy Clark started talking about designing in the browser, and I thought, uh, that's a bunch of malarkey. Um, designing in the browser, that's not how creative things work, you can't do that. And basically, he found that it was helpful to his business to start designing in the browser because the clients weren't unpleasantly surprised when they saw the difference between Photoshop and the browser. Okay, so uh, later, uh, a year later, he came up with this presentation. The walls came tumbling down. And he kind of outlined his idea for designing in the browser. He wanted to come up with a new and better workflow. And this is three years ago design in the browser, learn to live with the constraints of the web, and then design systems instead of web pages. So um, he often says we design websites, not pictures of websites. So this rings true to me. At that time, I really disagreed with him. Um, so this presentation is kind of eating my words from then. So Photoshop is impractical for design mock-ups, and especially now. Now that we have responsive design, you'll you'll find that there are a lot of disadvantages to uh, Photoshop comps now. Changes are very time consuming. If you have a static Photoshop comp and the client says, well, I'd I'd like the type bigger, I just want the headlines bigger, you'll have to change each of those individually. And it doesn't matter to me that Adobe is apparently working on something new, and I'm not. I'm not insulting Photoshop per se, it could be Gimp, it could be fireworks or any image editor, anything that's not a browser, okay? So it's too much manual work, it just takes way too much time to do. Um, you need Photoshop to be able to do your work, Photoshop it costs money, I guess most people could pay for it, but, but still, it's something you have to depend on, you, you're at the mercy of, of Adobe and what they decide to do. And responsive design means that you won't just have one page. The page will be different sizes depending on the device you're you're looking at. And you can never really know for sure if the mock-ups you make for a smartphone in Photoshop are really going to look that way on an actual smartphone. So you're kind of setting yourself up for for problems. And this is the reality that we have today. These were screenshots taken with a, a very useful Adobe tool that... Um, I'm not anti-Adobe. This is what formerly Adobe Shadow was, Adobe Edge Inspect. And this is the same website in all kinds of different browsers, actual devices. Okay, and uh, this application makes actual screenshots on actual devices, which is the best way to test. So you could see these different things. I can't imagine that, especially this one here, that you'd design that you know, six different things in Photoshop for one page. What happens when you have several different page types? Right? So that's, uh, that's the reality. It's very tough to deal with. So web technology, on the other hand, is perfect for making design mock-ups. How many actual, just plain designers are in the room? Okay, you do nothing else except design. I know, Wes, yeah. So there are a few, okay? I didn't expect very many at Frontiers, to be honest. How many people are kind of des- designer, coder, hybrid types? Yeah, a lot more. Okay, so this might appeal more to you. I might actually piss the real designers off. So please don't come and find me at the beer thing, okay? But this is, uh, this is why I think web-based comps are really um, really good. It doesn't have to take much longer than Photoshop. There is a little learning curve, because if you're not familiar with HTML and CSS, you know you have to learn it, but that's, we'll come back to that, that's not a bad thing. You can automate trivial tasks, because developers have this thing, you've noticed that a lot of the talks today are about tools, this is about tools, this is about tools and process, but developers, um, they're lazy, you know, they just want to keep coming up with, with little tools, right? And <laughs> Like Matthias. And, um, They they want to make things easier for themselves, so they spend some time. They invest some time to make a tool to make things easier later on, and that's something that designers really don't get to do. So it's it's something that we should look at and take advantage of. Um, You don't get much more of a realistic presentation of your web design than you would in an actual browser. Even font rendering issues are something that when the client sees it from the very beginning. They're not surprised when the type looks the same in the browser because they've already seen it, right? So, state changes, hover. Um, hover is just a basic one. So, you don't have to make a layer in Photoshop that implies what the hover should be. But, other types of complex uh, state changes what about logged in versus not logged in, for example? You can show those state changes very, very easily in a, a web based mock up, okay? So these are, these are great things to, to think about. The best thing about the, these kinds of comps is that they can be responsive. So you can make one page design and have it be responsive right away. And if you want, you can take screenshots of those, you know, different screen widths. You can test them in browsers. There's, there are a few things uh, more impressive lately than when I go to a client and I use Adobe Shadow and have some devices and put them on the table and invite the client to put his or her devices on the table as well and then navigate to the page on my laptop and the page just shows up on all those devices. They could see exactly what the design should look like. So it seems like you're already building the site, but you're not. It's, it's, a, it's an interesting way to, to look at it. You'll have to find shortcuts so that it's not like building a static website. If you're, if you're smart about it, you could make code which could be used for development, but that's not the goal. Um, developers are gonna write their own code or they use their own process, so if you can work together with the developers you can do that, but it's not it's not really necessary, it's just instead of Photoshop. So the whole thing I'm trying to say is we should get rid of Photoshop, okay? Don't hurt me. <laughs> it's, we don't need to get rid of Photoshop completely. Photoshop is great for things like image editing, okay. for example. Um, It's great for creating image assets. I know people who think in Photoshop. I tend to sketch on paper, but other people like to think and play around in Photoshop. That's great. Just consider not using it as a design tool to do a complete mock-up for your clients. And I think we need two things to replace them. One of them is the mock-up, which I'm not going to talk about today, surprisingly enough, because it's Probably one of the big things I could talk about, so I'll save that for some time in the future. Um, Another thing that we need next to the mock up is a style guide. Okay? Oops, style guides. (laughs) That was quick. Um, Style guides are a a takeover from the print world. Style manuals or branding guidelines or corporate identity guidelines, these are all books, usually. Uh, the first one I ever saw when I was in design school was uh, a book from, I think, early 80s. It was from Apple Computer. It was pretty thick. I'd say uh, at least two centimeters thick. All the guidelines about anything having to do with Apple and the thing about a style guide is it doesn't just show you what's available, like logos and typefaces and things like that. It also tells you when you should use these things, and when you do, how you should use these things. So you use this logo in these cases, at this size, with that much space around it, with that typeface, etc. Uh, everything was described, grids. It was just incredible. I couldn't imagine anyone liking doing that type of work. Until later on, when I became a designer and I started doing some of that work myself, which I still hated to do, honestly. Um, But there's a good thing about style guides for your team. If you create a style guide, and you pass that on to a developer with a mock-up, they don't have to go into Photoshop and measure. Because there are a lot of developers here. Who loves that part? Who loves going into Photoshop and measuring stuff? And now you have to measure stuff, and you have to think, okay, that's 15 pixels, but it's responsive, so now it's got to be percentages or weight, should it be Ms? And then you have to do all this kind of uh, stupid math, and uh, the designer will say, well, that's not what I meant, that's not what I designed. Go back and look at the Photoshop thing. Terrible. Stop. Okay? Um, state and breakpoint changes can be included, so you can put in a style guide what what should a hover look like, what what will this look like when you're logged in, this block, okay? It's for designers to remember what they, what they decided upon. It's for developers so that they'll know how to implement these design things. It's for the client. You can write a style guide in a language that's client understandable. And it's also for anyone else who might come on the team later on. It's also, uh, it, it helps you maintain design consistency. So you might have heard about style guides recently because a lot of people talk about them um, Anna Debenham had, a, had an article on 24 Ways last year about it. And people quote things like Twitter Bootstrap, which I don't consider Twitter Bootstrap to be a style guide. I consider it to be a pattern library. Um, they, they tell you, they have all these elements. They don't tell you when to use them and how to use them specifically. Um, it's, it's general, so it can't really be a style guide because it's, it's used for all different types of projects. So here are some. Apple Identity Guidelines. And these are, um, this is one set of Apple guidelines. There, there are presumably a lot more. These are for like uh, retailers, I guess, resellers. So you get this kind of thing. This is the logo you should use and how much space in between. Um, and there's a lot of text here. And that's the difference between things like uh, Bootstrap and, and a lot of the the, the pattern primers and stuff that you see today is that this is just human readable text which tells you some background information and how to use this and when to use this. So it's not just putting all the different types of buttons that you have on there, okay? Um, this is a really well-known one, the guidelines for the BBC. I think a lot of you have probably seen this. This goes so far as to um, outline the, the grids that you should use. It doesn't. It doesn't say exactly when you need to use these grids um, compared to other ones. It's just like, this is the grid, and there are different ways to go about using it, and they do describe those. So this is brilliant. For those who are interested in these types of things, Anna Debenham has this collection. Um, The link's up there, I think. Yeah. Um, This is a collection not only of style guides. There are style guides in there, but there are also pattern primers, Uh, tools to help you make your own style guide or pattern primer. Um, So if you're interested at all in making style guides, this is a good place to look. So it's a pretty good resource. I went through here, and being the, I guess, stubborn person that I am, I have specific things that I want in in a style guide. And they're not that easy to come by. I didn't find any of the style guides or pattern primers that did what I want to do specifically. So um, first thing is I want this to be free-form writable. If you're familiar with things like uh, Kyle Neath's uh, KSS or um, uh, Jeremy Keith's pattern primer, you'll know that you have to do certain things in a certain way. It's not that you can just write a document and then um, have that become a style guide. If you're writing a style guide, the chances are that you're not the one who's going to be doing the writing you might be the one determining what the design is, but the person who does the design is not always the person who writes the style guide. Sometimes there's a documentation person doing that, or some other type of copywriter who's doing that, or an editor. So I wanted it to be free-form writable, and not that I have to ask some editor to go into a CSS file, and in the comments, in a certain like comment syntax, write out all the text, which is just ridiculous. I want to use something like Markdown and just have them write whatever they want. Another thing is that I want to take screenshots of, what I've de- of the mock-up that I've made um, at different viewport widths and be able to automatically have those screenshots pulled into the documentation. Okay? Um, I'm pretty demanding. Um, code snippets. When you change the CSS in your mock-up, I want that CSS or the HTML to automatically be updated and into the style guide. I don't want someone to have to go in and change the style guide. So these uh, screenshots should also be updated automatically when something changes. So they should not only be made automatically, they should also be automatically updated. The pattern primer that uh, Jeremy Keith has, which was the inspiration for me thinking about style guides in this way at all, um, was really interesting to me. Except for the fact that you had to split each component of your page into uh, separate HTML files, and I know you can automate that, but it just didn't it didn't fit right with me. Um, so. If I made navigation, I'd have to have the navigation as a separate HTML file. And I'd have to split all these things out. So it didn't appeal to me, even though the idea um, really appealed to me. I want syntax highlighting for the code. Um, I propose in the style guides that I do, the CSS. CSS is pretty readable, actually. It's very human readable, especially for developers who are used to it. So why not let the CSS tell you what the styling is for an element? Instead of going into Photoshop and measuring things and um, selecting text and seeing how big the text is, you could see the font size in the CSS. Why not put the CSS right next to the the object that you're describing and have the CSS become the technical part of the documentation? Um, And I want that syntax highlighted because it's easier to read. So is this too demanding? (laughs) Am I asking too much? This is weird, isn't it? I couldn't find a tool. To do this, I couldn't find one tool because Matthias obviously had not made one. So what, what, are, you, what are you to do? And that's this weird thing about these tools. I, I, uh, I was introduced to Unix when I was a kid and I thought it was really interesting because you had these little, just simple applications that did like one tiny thing and I thought well that's kind of stupid, you know, just one thing. And uh, but the, the idea of chaining these things together, which you're all familiar with if you work on a Mac, um, that, that can be immensely powerful. So why do we need one tool anyway? Why not chain a bunch of tools that do their thing well together? Because otherwise, you're going to end up with this, a sporf. Right? People actually use these. Um, but this is trying to be a fork and a knife and a spoon at the same time. you know. So you can imagine, you can make all these monstrous tools that are um, part hammer, part nail, part wrench, you know, just crazy stuff. Why? We don't need to do that. When we have all these separate tools available, uh, just put them together, okay? So I did find one tool that was the, the, basic, uh, the basic building block of, the, of this whole idea, and that's called Dexy, and Dexy is a... I guess it's a fairly new open source project, and I've come to know the author, um, Anna Nelson, who's just brilliant. This is a a Python application, and it's just recently changed. She did that on purpose just to to mess me up. So I'm going to show you the old version today, but she's got a newer one out, so good luck Applying anything I'm talking about because she said, Well, I rewrote the whole thing, you know. So <laughs> it's, gonna, it's gonna be a little bit different. Um, Dexy is a freeform writable documentation um, software application. So you can write something, uh, you can show what, if you, if you want to show what things look like in the console, you can actually put things, um, have Dexy do the commands that you have in your documentation in the console show the console output, and you can also um, just do all the calculations and everything, you could just run your application and show each section automatically in your documentation, it's, it's brilliant. Um, so I thought, this is maybe I can use this, and uh, that's what I use now for the documentation part. For screenshots, um, uh, Adi Osmani this morning was talking about um, Phantom JS, and everyone knows what Phantom is, I assume now—a um, headless web browser, which is cool. You know, a browser that you can't see, um, but that you can make do things for you, and you can script. And Casper JS is, uh, for me, as not a programmer, just a, a design guy who tries to do his best with code. <laughs> Uh, Casper's pretty good, I I call it like the jQuery. It's like the jQuery for Phantom, I guess. Um, What you can do is make a little script that tells the viewport to be a certain width in Phantom, take a screenshot, okay? And then go to another element, take a screenshot of that element, go to another page, take a screenshot of that whole page. You can script all that with, with Casper. And you could probably do it in a different way, but this lazy me, right? Um, code and uh, screenshot updating this I, I use templating for this, which I'm sure the developers are familiar with the designer for the designer people here it's placeholders if you If you have a, an HTML document, you can say, "I want um, that picture when that picture exists put the, pull that picture in and put it right here um, so it's placeholders basically um, so I use this Python templating because. Dexie is a Python based um, piece of software, so um, I could pull I use this templating to pull in the screenshots and to pull in the CSS code that describes the thing in the screenshots for syntax highlighting, also a Python version of this, and I know that any of you could do exactly the same thing with Ruby if you know this. Um, uh, this is just one syntax highlighting uh, library for Python, Pigments. So, what does this all mean? This means that we have to go into the command line, right? As designers, <laughs> don't be scared. <laughs> okay, I know that I don't get it actually. Why? Why are designers so afraid of the command line? Anyone? I'm sorry? No UI. Well, there is a UI. It's just not a graphical UI, right? you um, work in just When you some support to this is not natural. Okay. So that's one opinion that it's not natural. You would like to just drag things around and, you know, like a, like a designer would normally uh, do. Um, yeah, we I'll get back to that. This is, this is the command line, okay? When we're not talking about designing right now, we're talking about using a, a tool to, to generate documentation, okay? But this is the command line. It's, it's really friendly, right? It's not scary at all. See, there's my name right there. It's like uh, saying, hello, Stephen. good morning. Enjoy your cup of coffee. Just when you're ready, tell me what you want me to do. It's kind of like your butler. It's, it's brilliant, I love this, okay? I'm a designer and I, I love this. It's simple, it's minimal. And why would you be afraid of the command line if you can work with something like this? This is Photoshop, right? This is, let's get in there close a up See that? You know what all that is? Some of you do. If you do, then it should be no problem to learn one or two commands for the command line. Okay, you don't even have to remember them. You do what I do, have this little snippet library of things. Oh, God. I always forget how to do SCP, for example. Which, why is a designer doing SCP in the first place? I don't know. But uh, this, see, Photoshop. The Photoshop has this color space called LAB. And to give you an idea of how complex Photoshop is, just the LAB color space has a book that was made for it, which is huge, it's like 600 pages for one color space. It's like one menu item in Photoshop, okay? A book, 600 pages. That's complex. In fact, if you use Photoshop, you're using one of the most complex and sophisticated pieces of software that have been made for consumers, okay? The command line is not a scary thing. See? Look. That, that, see? OK, so it's very friendly. The command line does have some problems. So give me a chance to grab a glass of water. How does this process work that I'm describing? By the way, I'm describing a process to you that I've, uh, that I've developed um, out of necessity uh, over the past two years i've I talked at mobilism about my responsive design workflow, which is my my answer to the problems I had in designing for the responsive world that we live in right now so um, this is just one of the steps in that workflow and I, I am working on a book which should come out um, sometime around March, which describes this whole workflow, but just because I'm writing a book about it and talking about it here. It doesn't mean that I'm right. It doesn't mean that it works for you. It's just um, my way of doing things, and hopefully you'll get at least one thing out of this that you might think, "Hey, that's that's a cool idea. I'd I'd like to take that and do my own thing with it." Because that's the whole idea. It's not like this is a workflow you should follow. It's just just my thing. Okay. So what what we do here is we just um, take an HTML and CSS mockup and then Take screenshots of that, code snippets out of that, out of the CSS. Uh, someone else or me uh, depends. Writes a style guide in Markdown with templates, with placeholders in there for pulling in the screenshots, and then those things are combined by Dexy to become the style guide. When you uh, when you go through these steps, it looks like this. You just create your web-based mockup, which is. Using HTML, CSS, and JavaScript to make the same thing that you would make in Photoshop, only now you're doing it in the browser. And it seems like it takes a long time until the client comes with changes and you only have to change one line of CSS compared to um, a half a day in Photoshop manually changing things and then moving them, uh, moving them around the screen because something had to become bigger. Okay? And doing that for five different files, for one page because you're trying to show what it looks like responsively. OK, so this is just so much, uh, so much easier to do. The CSS that you write for this type of thing shouldn't be production CSS. It could be, but it doesn't have to be. In fact, if you're going to pull out these pieces of CSS, it's better to have redundant CSS, to have things that are um, repetitive so that the blocks that you pull out will contain all the CSS that you need for a certain component. Okay, so I like Jonathan Snook's uh, method, SMACS, uh, anyone familiar with SMACS? Yeah, it's a, this is a really good a little book, um, I don't know why he's got a lumberjack on the cover but, um, you know, it's pretty, pretty cool. Um, it's, uh, it's about setting up your CSS in a modular way which kind of fits with the way uh, I put these style guides together. Then you install Dexy and any dependencies that you might have. Um, Phantom and Casper. This kind of installation—it's like the things that Addy was talking about this morning. Uh, that for a designer, that's daunting. I mean, you've got to install this stuff, and there are dependencies and stuff like that. This is why I think the way that we've been working in silos—interaction designer makes wireframes, puts, gives them to a visual designer who gets to put colors on top, you know, color by numbers, and then give that to a developer who then does the developer thing, that's just such a a bad, obsolete way of working. When you're a designer and you want to do something more efficient that uh, requires tools that you don't know how to install, get together with a developer who would love to show you how to install these things or do it for you. And developers who want to know something about design should get together with the designers and talk about um, the things they need from the designer. And interaction designers the same way. Um, I won't even get into it today, but I think interaction designers should not make wireframes at all. Okay, don't hurt me for that one. <laughs> um, you write your uh, you write your Markdown. This is an example. You've got your little placeholders here. Here's this is going to be a button, and here's uh, here I'm pulling in the CSS for the button. This looks complicated, but it, <laughs> Five minutes of explanation, and it's no longer complicated, and you'll know exactly how to do it, okay? It's no, no more complicated than undercover removal or curves in Photoshop. Um, you script your screenshots in, um, in Casper. Now, I am a designer. Do not judge my JavaScript. <laughs> this is very simple, and what I'll do to the chagrin of all the uh, JavaScripters here is I'll just repeat... I'll put like 50 Casper then functions in here, right? I'll put one in for each screenshot that I want because it's easier, okay? And it's not going into production, so it doesn't matter, right? Here's the CSS, and I just mark the sections with comments. This is the button CSS, this is the, what it looks like when you, when you hover it, okay? And then go into the, go into the file that you, um, of the folder that you want in the command line, and type the word dexy. I think everyone can do that. And then style guide, done, okay? Ding, okay. Um, I could do a demo if I have time, but I'm not sure if I have time. Do you want to see a demo? Okay. My grandfather said when I was a kid, don't do live demos, you know, bad things can happen. So we'll uh, we'll try it out. Let's say we've got this fantastic web page. Wow, this is our mock-up. And wait a minute. (laughs) (laughs) I'm seeing something you're not seeing. Think. See, that's what I mean, right? It's two minutes into the demo. and... This is your web page. We're keeping it simple, okay? Because there are less things that I can mess up in public, okay? This is a a button. Boop, boop. Um, Obviously, without the pointer, (laughs) Uh, which I know know someone was going to point out. Um, Here's the command line. Let's get that up there. That means LS means list for you designers. You three designers in the audience. It, LS's list. You can imagine the BR would be beer, you know, if, you, if, you, if I went home that would be great if you could just go home and say BR, you know, and the, the beer would be given to you. I'd, I'd get this shit slapped out of me. Um, what we've got here is footer and header. That's, those are uh, headers and footers of the, the style guide. I want one header and footer for if I have multiple pages. There's no reason to, to um, repeat those, so I just have one. And then I have index uh markdown, which you just saw um don't laugh that I'm using vim, please <laughs> okay um, this is this is pretty simple, right? and then we have uh the screenshots which uh you also just saw ignore the lint thing see and what I'm saying is uh make the viewport eight hundred wide and then take a picture of that button. If I had more elements in there, if it was an actual page, I could take all kinds of screenshots of different elements at different viewport widths, but let's keep it simple because it's uh, uh, less for me to mess up. And then in, uh, in mockup, I have the, the HTML file that you just saw here and the CSS for it, okay? So what I'll do now is uh, just set up Dexy, and then run Dexy. Okay, so now I've got some other things in this directory. And um, in output, if we go in there, then you'll see I've got a screenshot of the button, I've got the uh, index HTML, and then the mock-up. So what is that index HTML? That's the the style guide, which uh, this should be next to this, but the screen's... uh, uh, the screen's pretty small right now so um, and I didn't do it responsively <laughs> okay so the interesting part about this is if we were to go back up and uh, let's say we wanted to change something in our mock up um, in the css like I think was it Facilis who asked me to use papaya whip yeah <laughs> okay. I, it's going to be hard because at the last conference I did this talk, I misspelled the word orange like 27 times. So, <laughs> that's, those are the types of things that can go wrong. Let's get that out. And then uh, let's take the border radius out for fun. So, we save that. Um, go back up. Now, we've just changed something which means that we, we want to get rid of the stuff that Dexie did last time. So, we did the cleanup and then we do Dexy Setup. These are really simple commands. And then run Dexy again. And then you get that. So <laughs> This is a very simple example. I like simple examples because I believe simple examples don't introduce a lot of complexity which detract from what you're learning. So you can imagine uh, because everyone here is probably smarter than I am. You can do a whole style guide with all these different sections, um, login blocks, what, when should you use them, what should they look like at different screen widths. And Anytime you change anything, whether it's the code or whether it's the, the element itself or even complete pages, you could just update your style guide as easy as this. So that's, uh, that's that. That's, Get back here, and I'm probably running really late because Christian's really getting angry. I hear him growling. So, it's got a learning curve, but everything does. Um, it's not that bad. You don't have to use everything. You don't have to use any of this, but if you do, you don't have to use everything at once. There might be one thing that appeals to you. Just, just do that. Just start thinking about how you can make your workflow better and choose what works for you. But just realize that... We're in a new time with all different types of devices. And we can't even think in terms of smartphones and tablets and desktops anymore because there are televisions and refrigerators and um, cars with internet. So we don't know uh, game consoles. We don't know what, um, what we're going to be designing for. So um, just start thinking about that workflow and seeing what you can change. And have fun with it and keep learning. Thank you.
1: Oh, God. Uh, I've seen it before. <laughs> <laughs> wow, Actually, easy. we don't have much time, but so we're go- I'm going through the feedback that I got from people mostly. Um, I loved it last time I saw it at Smashing Mac. I think it's a good idea what we're doing here. The whole. Uh, I think there should be more talks about like, designers talking about codey things and coders talking about designing things, or both of them together, wor- how we work together. And that kind of automation is basically means you don't build lots and lots of documentation that nobody reads or wants. Right. So uh, a good question, though, where uh, like well, except for a lot of people whinging that the CLI is still scary, but you can talk to them in the break, I think. <laughs> um, a lot of people said like, seeing that you do web-based comps, anyways, why not just include the uh, the HTML elements in an iframe or something like that, rather than generate images? Um, that's a that's a
0: good question. I actually did that first because Dexy had no support uh, itself for screenshots. Um, I, so I did have HTML. What I had was, uh, I had them, I guess, in iframes, uh, I think, that I did. Uh, so I had all these iframes in the page. Um, I didn't like it. I didn't like the way it looked, mainly, as a designer, because you, I don't know, I just didn't like the, sometimes you'd have the scrolly bits, you know, it would just, uh, it's just too much work to tweak. And also, um, you would have to split out the files again. So you'd have to have all these separate HTML files uh, for like, the navigation. Um, I guess you could pull them in. I don't know. I'm, I'm probably just not much of a programmer to be able to do that myself. So, Well, you um, would have a client that looks at it in IE6 and wonders why there's no rounded corners. Yeah, well, that's, I think that's what the mock up is for so what the, the style guide is to describe how you wanted the design, and the mockup is to show what the design how the design works
1: in reality, hmm. so these two things work together. so one question was, why would a style guide include CSS code the, it's
0: just a way of having an element and having the um, having the the properties that describe uh, what this thing is made of um, what what font it uses, how big it should be. Um, developers understand that. You could hide that for clients, for example, and then developers can just uh, like open it up and take a look at it. But it's, it's just a way, uh, it's easier to see what the margin should be um, by looking at the CSS. It's already in the CSS because you already have your mockup. So why type that out again um, when the developer can understand
1: it just as easily. So instead of just putting arrows and like, this is that much, you just put the code under it and people yeah, should understand yeah. it. That's, yeah, that's a good point. Uh, very interesting one here is, how do you explain to your client that the mockup prototype in the browser is not production ready? Because as soon as I showed stuff to people in a browser, yeah. they thought, oh cool, I can reuse 90% of that. Why do you need another three weeks to build this website? Yeah, exactly. That's one of the big problems. and I,
0: I call that presentation psychology. Um, that you should never, there's a point when you can show a mock-up in the browser um, but it's not in the very beginning. So what I do is I make the mock-up and then I take screenshots and I'll automate those sometimes with uh, Casper and Phantom but, or just even take screenshots um, with your screenshot tool uh, and I'll present the screenshots. And I'll say these are, <laughs> these are some pictures of what the design will look like and then when they say oh we like it, then I'll say okay well we're, we're gonna get to work on that. And um, we'll get back to you with a, with a mock-up. Here's
1: my bill. <laughs> uh, um, I tried reverse psychology and basically made like three really ugly things and one thing that we wanted to give them. And sadly enough, we had to implement one of the ugly ones. So it's, it, it's really dangerous <laughs> at times it is dangerous. to go really with design and, and, and HTML for people already. Uh, somebody's asking if there's a live one already out there for a site that we could look at, that you'd built with Dexy? Um, nope, unfortunately. Um, these types
0: of things are, uh, and most of my clients are um, clients who don't appreciate it that much if, uh, if I publicize materials that I use for them, so uh, a lot of NDA stuff. I'll, I'll probably just have to make, um, make an example one. Uh, that's probably the best thing to do, or take an existing site and just make an example of that. So, uh, first I have
1: to get the book done. So. One earlier question was, you know, how do you get the client to give write down feedback when the design is in the browser? So that means if there, could that be extended to allow for an annotation system with Google Docs yeah. or something like that? That's a great question. In
0: fact, I was talking with Anna about this. Um, uh, that's a, a request that she has. So we'll probably be working together on um, doing some kind of annotation system on top of Dexie, where we use like a Dexy is all plugins. So um, we're going to see if we can make a plugin that allows you to annotate um, and I guess we'll, we might use SVG to draw the annotations or whatever. Uh, so we'll have to see. Uh, it's just something we talked about last week, so, but it's definitely something we want to do.
1: One question is uh, how about generate the style guide from production CSS? Well, this is partly what this is about, but you just had a small demo to show how it works. I don't know if
0: I'd do a style guide. The style guide is about the design it's not necessarily about... Documentation for production CSS, especially if you use things like SAS. Um, you're going to have heavily optimized CSS, which uh, won't always lend itself to this. If you, if you have a, a button, you might have a lot of the styles that you use for the button, uh, like in, in other selectors, you know, or like in a mix in. So you'd have to include the, the mix in styles and any specific styles for that button within a certain module. Um, it can get really complex. So if, if you want to document production things, I see that more as production documentation and not really a style guide. Um, so you could do that. You could use Dexy for that um, if you want. is great for all types of documentation, so. If it doesn't change from under you? If it doesn't change from under you, well, I'm, I'm aware of a lot of the changes and it's not, it's not all that bad, it's just, it should
1: even be easier for, um, for non-coders to, to work with. So, cool. One last one is, how do you store a style guide like that? You can put it somewhere on a website, but if a client wants to have it as one file, you have to zip it up? Or... Um,
0: I think there's even a, a Dexy filter for uh, generating a PDF. Uh, so you can use, uh, what do I use? I use, um, Ghostscript. no, uh, it's another markdown converter and I can't come up with it, the name. It's fantastic, from John McFarlane. Um,
1: yeah, whatever. We whatever. Look I'll, I'll
0: look it up. I <laughs>
1: forgot what it is. Good. But yeah, just generate a PDF that way. Cool. So that's it from Stephen Hay. Thank you again. Thanks.